Well, good morning, Oakwood. Glad that you're here this morning, and I'm excited to get into the Word with you this morning. And if you have your Bibles, I want to turn, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, that's going to be our main uh, passage for this morning. And the title of today's message is The Plight of Compromise. The Plight of Compromise. You know, one of the things that really amazes me as I go through life and as I walk this journey of faith with God that, that I've really had since my childhood, I've been really blessed that way. And it's still, even at my age today, and as many years as I've been a Christian, still amazes me how much God loves me. The love of God is just absolutely amazing. I think sometimes we don't think about that or, or you know, we, we take that for granted perhaps, or maybe it's time that we in our hearts take it for granted, but we, we just don't really reflect on that. We don't really think about, you know, God's love for us. Um, and it's interesting because God's deepest desire as you look at Scripture is that we would in turn love Him back. And it's not in any particular expression uh, you know, this has got to be this, it's got to be this, or it's got to be this. But just with our whole life, with who we are, with, with what we say, with what we do, is that we would project His love to the world. And by doing that, we would be loving Him back. And God showed His great love for us in this, Scripture says, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It didn't say, well, after we repented or after we decided to be good or after, you know, after we had turned in our life. No, while we were still sinners, while we were still far from God, we, we didn't do anything to prompt it. It was all God. God sent His Son, Jesus, while we were still sinners to die for us. And He did that because He loves us so much and because God wants a relationship with us so bad. And how we express that back to God is, is doing what we've just done in the last few minutes, is worshiping Him, is expressing love back to Him through worshiping Him, through following His ways and His will for our life. Because He showed love through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross of Calvary. We show love to Him by sacrificing our ways, our sins, and by walking in the ways that He wants us to walk. And here's the coolest thing about it. I think there's like a double bonus here. Is when you live by God's ways and you follow his commands, it's the best life you're ever going to have. I mean, if you experience something bad in life, I know sometimes there's circumstances we can't control and we don't deserve, you know, what happens to us. But sometimes we get ourselves uh, going down a path because of sin, because of temptation, because of choices that we have made. I feel like sometimes that's a, that's a major struggle in the Christian life. It sounds so easy, right? God loved you. He sent His Son to die for you. You accept His free gift of grace. You accept His salvation. And then you walk in His ways. It's simple, isn't it? I mean, it's really, oh, that's just so simple. And yet it's, it's so hard. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually do it. I think some of us, we kind of get in this Savior versus Lord complex that you've heard me talk about before, that you know, everybody wants Jesus as their Savior. Oh yeah, Jesus is my Savior. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. Jesus is my Savior. But when we say He is my Savior and my Lord, it means something different when we say Lord. It means that He is now over us, that He is our Master, and that we walk in His ways. But we don't do it out of the awe. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because He loved us so much He sacrificed His life. Look at a couple of the, the scriptures that will be on the screens here for you from, uh, just to introduce this. John chapter uh, 14, uh, verse 15 says this, 
uh, Jesus is saying this, and he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That, that's how we express our love for God, is that we keep his commands. In, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, it says this, and by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. How do you know if you come to know, know Christ? Is if you keep his commandments. And then look what it says there. It says, whoever says, oh, hey, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that not only do we know him, but this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides, which that, that word abide is so awesome. It, it just means to dwell in the presence of, to just be a part of. Whoever says that he abides in him, in Christ, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, John chapter 14 that we just read, and, and 1 John chapter 2 that we just read really brings to light several things. If you love him, it said in John 14, you will keep his commandments. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, if you know him, if you know him, you will keep his commandments. In the, in, toward the end there of 1 John 2, it says, it says, if you are in him, if you are in him, you will keep his commandments. So we can know that if we love him, if we know him, if we are in him, we will keep his commandments. Now some of us get kind of hung up here, I feel like, sometimes. Some of us feel like, okay, you know, I'm still struggling. Scripture never says the struggle will go away. And if you look at the, the New Testament, you look at the Apostle Paul and all of his writings, he writes uh, some uh, chapters in, in Romans 7 and 8, and he talks about the struggle. That there's still going to be temptation in your life, and you're still going to struggle with sin. You know, he, it's funny because the way that Paul says it, um, it you know, he kind of goes back and forth in Romans chapter 8, and, and he says, you know, the, the, the sin I want to stop doing the stuff I want to stop doing because I know it's pulling me away from God, I keep doing it. And, and the stuff that I want to do, the good things and the good deeds and, and, and what the Holy Spirit brings into my life, I don't do those things. And toward the end of it, he says, what a wretch of a man I am. Who can save me from this life of sin? Who can do it? And he says, it is only by Jesus Christ. It's only by the power of Jesus Christ that we are able to walk in the ways of God and leave the life of sin. But the struggle will always be there, which brings us today to the plight of compromise. Because I, I think that we read enough in Scripture about Satan to know that he's crafty. Uh, one, of the, one of the Scriptures that it talks about, it's First uh, Second Peter, talks about that, that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking who he will devour. Uh, how many of you ever watched the National Geographic channel or any of the Animal Kingdom, any of those shows? You ever seen those animal shows? Okay, a few of you. Maybe you've seen videos online. I know a lot of people watch you know, YouTube and different things today. But if you've ever watched Lions Hunt, I mean, that's how they do it. They, they, they kind of are always the same color as the Serengeti place that they're at. Have you ever noticed that? The wheat, the grasses, it's like the line can really blend in. I mean, their color matches their environment. And what they do is they kind of sneak up and they lay low in the, in, in, in the, in the weeds. And, and they're kind of watching a pack and then they watch that one that strays. Do you ever notice that? They won't go after the 40 there together. There's always this one that's hanging back. 
hey, the grass is greener over here. Let me go over here. And I'm, you know, this poor antelope's eating. And, and you know, the, the lion prowls up and stops. The little antelope's like, hey, wait, what's going on? And prowls, prowls up some more and stops. And I thought I heard something, you know? And, and it's the same imagery that it gives us in the scripture that he's a roaring lion, he's seeking to devour, he's crafty. And, and I think that sometimes. The, his plan is not to get us to just go boom, boom, you know, one big thing. It's, it's a series of compromises. It's a series of baby steps away from God. And then maybe that's his plan. It's not this one big fallout, but it's, it started with this, and it started with a little bit of this, and it started with a little bit of this. And then by the time you get down the line, you're like, wow, how far have I strayed? Because, you know, but it was a series of compromises. And that's what we're going to be talking about today in Daniel chapter 1. Because we have to understand that the devil's plan is to get us away from God and to get us to sin because God hates sin. He doesn't hate the sinner. He loves the sinner. In fact, he wants to redeem the sinner and get them out of that way of life. But he hates sin. And so Satan's plan and his A game was, if I can get these people to sin and get away from God, if I can get them to go their own way instead of the Lord's way, if I can get them to compromise just a little bit, baby steps away from God, then he will eventually separate from God. Because compromise is, again, separation from God is his end game. Well, let's look what it says there in, uh, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1. And if you're, if you're following along in the Bible that's provided there for you, just turn to page 737, just like the jet plane, and you'll be right there at Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to read this together, and I'm going to kind of unpack this as we read it. And so uh, just look there, Daniel chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. Now, just for the sake of time this morning, I can't get into, well, why did God allow that? It says that God gave him over. There's a reason, there's some judgment that God's bringing because of sin in the camp. And, and, and here he, it says they gave them over, and then they, notice they took some of the vessels, some of the precious items of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, little g, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God, little g. So not the God of the universe, but these other false gods. And then in verse 3 it says, And then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, which is a servant of the king, someone who's high up. Usually the eunuchs handled finances for the kingdom. So this is someone that was really trusted and really close to the king. And it says that his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Now the reason they wanted to do this is they're trying to assimilate them into new culture. They're trying to get them out of Israel's ways and out of the ways of God and to the, to the uh, Babylonian ways, or, or what they said here, the Chaldeans, um, the name of the people group there. And so we're going to, through literature and through language and through education, we're going to get them to have this series of steps where we're going to get them away from their belief system. We're going to create in them a new belief system and a new loyalty and really a new direction and a new God in their life. In verse 5 it says, the king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate himself and, and of the wine that he drank himself they were to be educated for three years so that that timeline a process a plan in place and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king and among these from israel some of these israeli boys were were these um were daniel 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. And they're renaming them because they're trying to assimilate them into the Chaldean, into the Babylonian way. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. That's a bummer name, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you've been known Daniel your whole life, and now you shall be Belteshazzar. It's like, okay. But that might be a good, good name for a little brother. I don't know. But um, The next one is Hananiah. He shall be called Shadrach. Mishael, he shall be called Meshach. And Azariah shall be called Abednego. Now, if you've been around church in your Bible for long enough, that may ring a bell. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes, and just a few chapters later, we're going to be reading about them getting thrown into a fiery furnace. But before we get there, we need to understand what's in chapter 1 because this is what got them to the furnace at some point. And look at verse 8 because really what hinges everything here is what Daniel does in verse 8. This is what it says. It says, but Daniel. So we have all this assimilation going on. We're going to eat the king's food. We're going to assimilate you. We're going to educate you for three years. And then it says, but Daniel resolved. He made a resolution. He made a decision. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Now, if you read there uh, that he didn't want to defile himself, and that he resolved himself that I'm not going to defile myself, then we have to kind of think in regards to the food, what was happening. Well, if you read scholars on this, several scholars have a couple of different theories. One of them is that because it was the king's food, that many times the king's food was offered to the gods, little g gods, before it was brought to the king. And so this was actually uh, food that had been offered to idols, then is brought into the king's table because it's the best of the best, and then would be fed to them. And so it was almost one of those feelings like, I'm kind of you know, going against God. I'm not going the ways of God. And, and so this was a big deal, and that's the reason I think the word defile is used there is because he was actually going to defile himself by doing this. Another, another way to think about in, in, in scholarship is that the, in Israel they had certain laws. You know, they have the, the, the good law of God, the Pentateuch, uh, first five books of the Bible, um, the laws of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and they had special dietary laws if you were an Israelite. And if you were following and walking in the ways of God, then you had to eat certain foods and you had to abstain from certain foods. And so maybe some of these foods that they were going to be serving these young men were going against the law. Where it's like, you know, they, they, they couldn't eat um, certain portions of, of pork, and so maybe that was like the main, the main dish here. And so, but whether, whether it was something that had been offered to idols or whether it was something that was just going against the way they had been brought up and the laws of God, Daniel resolved himself. Now, he wasn't disrespectful, and he wasn't demanding, he didn't try to cause a holy war, but he resolved himself to this fact. And it says that he went to the chief of the eunuchs and asked him to allow him to not defile himself. Now look what happens in verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion. Why? Because Daniel was choosing God's way over the way that the kingdom was wanting him to go. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king. You know, because that's his lord. (laughs) I fear that my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? In other words, we're giving you the best of the best food here. 
and you're gonna be like dwindling away, and these youths over here are, are, are gonna be looking much better than you, and, and you know, how am I gonna do this? And then it says right there, he said, so would you endanger my head with the king? Would you actually put me in harm's way because of your dietary needs? And then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said this, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. We're going to abstain from whatever meat you're serving to idols or that isn't supposed to be on the Israeli diet. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Now, there's a little risky proposition there, isn't it? I mean, you're hoping in 10 days after being on a vegetable water diet that you're going to be looking better than the ones who are not. But look what it says in verse 14. The eunuch listened. He said, so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who had ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, I don't know if that'd make you really popular. Because <laughs> in my house, if, if I said, hey, girls, uh, we're, we're going to eat vegetables from now on. That's all we're going to eat and water. I don't know that that'd be super exciting. Um, I'm sure the king's food was awesome. And so for this to be the new regimen because, hey, these people look better after 10 days, it was probably one of those things that it was, it was super disappointing. They have put, made Daniel one of the least popular ones amongst his peers in, in, in this group. But look what it says in verse 17. But as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And then it gives a little historical context here. It says, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. What I want you to notice from this passage was that Daniel took the time to think. That Daniel had this moment where he said, you know what, I'm going to resolve myself because I'm thinking of the end game down the road here. And even though I am, I am under a different ruler now, even though God has given uh, Israel over to the Babylonians, I still believe in God. I'm still going to trust in Him in spite of everything that's going on right now. I'm just going to focus my life and my heart on Him. And I know He's given me commandments. I know there are some things that He has said, you need to do this with your life. And so I think He saw the end game. I think He told Him and His three friends that they knew somehow that they were going to be asked to make a series of compromises. And that honestly, if they'd gone the way of the compromise, it'd probably be easier on them. Wouldn't be as stressful. Maybe just be going along with whoever's ruling over them. But I think he understood somewhere deep inside his spirit that these seemingly small and insignificant steps toward abandoning their, their beliefs, abandoning, them, abandoning their heritage, 
that none of those things would lead to anything good in their life. I think it's significant to notice that they decided we're going to resolve ourselves to walk in the ways of the Lord. And I'm sure there was at some point some doubts in their mind that the place where this might lead is, is, all, is all wrong. But, but we're going to walk in the ways of the Lord and we're going to trust him. And I think that he recognized something that we oftentimes miss as Christians. And that's this. Compromise does not erase the struggle. It only weakens our resolve. Compromise does not erase the struggle. You're still going to be tempted in your life, and you're still going to have Satan you know, prowling like a roaring lion, and you're still going to come into times of temptation in your life where you're looking at decisions and you're thinking, which way would honor God? And, and you're still going to have Satan right there whispering in your ear, trying to deceive you, trying to, to get you to make choices that will lead you away from God and not toward God. And you get to this point, and you have to understand that compromise does not erase the struggle. You may say, well, if I just compromise, if I just give up a little bit here, then I won't feel like I'm really struggling with this. No, it doesn't erase it. It only weakens our resolve. What it does is it moves our boundaries that we've set or our guidelines that we've set. It just moves them to a new place. It just widens our path. Remember what it says in Scripture. Wide is the path. And wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. Why? Because it's easier to find. It's wide. It goes on and it says, but narrow is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to life. We need to choose the narrow way, just like Daniel and his friends did here. And we need to resolve ourselves and decide, hey, once and for all, I'm standing firm. This is my boundary. This is what God has led me to. This is what I have believed, and I'm no compromise. I'm not going to compromise it. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 15.58. There's this urgency there. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that all of the labor that you do for the Lord is not in vain. All of the struggle you're going to go through, all the work to keep your life pure, all the things you're going to do to follow God and and have the mind of Christ and stay on the narrow path, all of those things are going to have a payoff in the future and the rewards of heaven. So be steadfast. Be immovable with resolve. You see, Daniel made up his mind before he knew how the story would end. That's what it means when it says there that he resolved himself. He made up his mind before he knew how the story would end. He didn't know how it was going to end. He didn't know how much trouble he was going to get into. He didn't know if he was going to you know, end up you know, uh, being in a, in, a, in a dungeon. He didn't know if he was going to be on the outs with the king or with the chief eunuch. God didn't say, hey, if you do this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to take care of you, you all the way. He didn't know exactly how it was going to go. He didn't know that God said, oh, yeah, it's going to be easy. I'm going to make this one easy on you, Daniel. Because remember, there's a few chapters later, and he's in a fiery furnace. I mean, but Daniel made up his mind because he knew how the story would end if he didn't. He, he made up his mind because he knew how the story would end if he didn't, that there'd be a compromise, maybe just a baby step away from God, but that it might lead to a series of steps away from God. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, it says this, 
The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And I want you to understand this morning that these decisions to follow God and to keep His commands, they will protect and direct your life. These decisions to follow God and keep His commands, they're going to direct and protect your life. And this, this is something that, that we, we, we lose sometimes, I think. This is one of those things sometimes that, that I think we don't understand the double blessing of following the Lord. It's not only the best life. It's not only the way that God intended. It's not only that you have salvation and redemption through Christ. It's the fact that it's the best way. That you are more protected and that you're going to fill the direction of God in your life if you keep His commands and follow His ways and pursue Him wholly. And many times I believe this will lead to a season of walking in the Lord's favor. I've never met a person in my life that wanted to be labeled as a person who is full of duplicity. I mean, how would you like that? Somebody come out and say, oh, you're full of duplicity. <laughs> Maybe hypocrisy a little bit. You know, you come in here Sunday morning and, oh, worship God with your lips, and then you walk out the doors and you deny Him by your lifestyle. <laughs> I think sometimes that's what the unbelieving world finds unbelievable about Christians is that we'll honor Jesus with our lips on Sunday, we'll act really holy and devout, and then we go out and we live however we want to live during the, re- during the rest of the week. It's what it says there in Proverbs that we're full of duplicity. Sometimes I think the whole reason you're here this morning is not because you're pursuing the life of duplicity. You're here this morning because you love Jesus. You really do. And you want to follow him. And sometimes I think we, we get caught up that, oh, it's something about knowledge. If I just learn more Bible, then I'll, then I'll be able to follow him better. You know? Or it's a, a question of loyalty. You know, if I'm just more loyal to God, you know, but many more times I think there's not only a question of, of, of knowledge and loyalty and resolve and commitment, but sometimes it might be a question of love. Is how much do you love God? In American history, the Battle of the Alamo, maybe you've heard of that, stands as a prime example of the kind of commitment that Jesus calls for, for us to give him. It was in 1836 that a band of about 183 men were hunkered down in this little mission house in San Antonio, Texas. And they were fighting against General Santa Ana's 6,000 Mexican soldiers. 6,000 versus 183. And for about two weeks, they held the Alamo against impossible odds just based on the sheer numbers. But then on March 5th, the night there before there would surely be a big and final assault, William Barrett Travis, the commander of the Texas Army, called a meeting of all of his men that were left alive in the fort. And telling them he knew the enemy would break through the walls in the morrow that they just couldn't hold up anymore, he drew his sword and he cut a line in the sand right there in the mission. And he invited those who wanted to stay and to fight to the end and to defend, to step across that line. And to a man, all 183 soldiers walked across the line that day. The next day, they gave a fierce battle. But there were just too many Mexican soldiers. Every man there lost his life. But they gave their lives for something bigger than themselves. For something that they really believed in. For something they decided, you know, we're not going to compromise on this. And that something for them was freedom. And I imagine that each man had to examine himself and say, 
How much do I love my mission? How much do I love what we're about? How much do I love what we're fighting for? You see, so many times I think we can't get caught up in just knowledge or loyalty and, and, and resolve and commitment. I mean, those things are very, very important. Don't get me wrong. I think sometimes we just need to get back to the simplicity of do you love him? Do you love Jesus? And if you love him, then resolve yourself and make a decision and say, you know what? I've decided to follow Jesus. And I'm going to live with him and walk with him all of the days of my life. And that's the challenge from God to you this morning. Is do you love me and are you going to decide to follow me? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us, that you forgive us, that you're so crazy about us that you gave us Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to offer us hope of life eternal and hope of a better life now because we can leave our life of sin and we can walk in your ways. And God, we are challenged when we read scriptures that says where Jesus is talking to the disciples, his closest friends, he says, hey, if you love me, you will keep my commands. What a challenge for us. But God, we know, oh, this is more than possible. This is probable because you have saved us. You have given us your power. You have given us your spirit in our life. And we can resolve ourselves just like Daniel did. That we're not going to defile ourselves any longer, but we're going to walk in the ways of the Lord. And God, we know that that double blessing will come, that your way is the best way. It leads to a life where we can uh, be free of guilt. It leads to a life where we can be uh, walking in the blessing of you. It doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect and that Satan is going to throw things our way, but it does mean that we are your children and that we can trust in you. And so God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here that has not made that decision to follow you, I pray today could be the day of salvation. I pray, God, today also that if there's anyone that's maybe uh, made that decision to follow you, but they've strayed, they haven't kept your commandments, God, could we use this time as a time of repentance and a time of turning back to you. But God, that we would make a decision. And just like Daniel, we'd resolve ourselves. That we are not going to defile ourselves any longer by choosing sinful ways. But we're going to choose your way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.